Welcome to Colonize the Ocean podcast, where we discuss oceanic colonization, exploration, and education with your hosts, Adam Jewell and Brendan Traxler. Welcome to the Atlantic Sea Colony live stream. My name is Adam Jewell. And speaking of Jewel, we are doing a collaboration with Jules today. We have two members of the ASC crew uh, down at Jewel's Undersea Lodge down in uh, Key Largo, Florida. And with them, sitting right there in the middle, is our good friend Thane. He's been with us before. But now we got, you know, we just got a couch full of hooligans right now that are live streaming directly from the world's only publicly accessible underwater habitat. So, uh, guys, how's it going so far today? So far, so good. A couple of good dives in, you know. I don't have kidney stones, so there's that. I was about to ask if you got kidney stones this time. I did cut my finger, however, so there is an injury. So there is a... Yeah, now... You can't go down there anymore, then you go because every time you're causing Thane some grief of what's going Those on. Those darn oysters will get you every time. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, we kind of wanted to do a special little live stream because I mean, obviously, Atlanta Sea Colony's whole goal is to be able to um, kind of accomplish what uh, what Jules has already accomplished. So um, I don't know, what do you guys? Uh, um, I guess Brendan, I'll start with you. Um, I guess and Babe and Thane, whatever doesn't matter. But I mean, just the the collaboration right now. I mean, Brendan, you're you're down there for longer than twenty minutes this time. So I mean, being able to be a part of it, you know, how does that uh, change? Or uh, how do you how does that uh, affect how you want to go forward with the Atlanta Sea Colony business? Like, does it just kind of cement your beliefs on how you uh, want to keep approaching? The goal? Yeah. I said, I still think at some point in time we need to do a whole week down here. But, uh, you know, that's that's down the road a little bit, I think. But, yeah. You know. The problem with that, Brendan, is after a week, then you really don't want to come up. That's I was true. I was here for four days. And I was like, oh, man, I got to I gotta go back. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm afraid of because, you know, I'm a hermit anyway. So this is, works out great for me. Really, the laundry got to be the mm. issue, right? Because you yeah. can't have heating elements down here. So that was like, uh, how? So you gotta, you'd have to send the lot out for laundry service and have that delivered. That was like that was gonna be that was the one drive. Okay, laundry. How am I gonna overcome that issue? I guess if nobody's visiting you all the more clothes. Right, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as long as you know when the divers are gonna be in the lagoon. Hey. Yeah, Thane, if that's the case, make sure you turn those monitors off of the, the, yeah, exactly. of the monitoring the monitor. I have to cause... think about that every once in a while. We do have that uh, we do have the webcam and it is, you know, from the command van you can see it and people do look in and see it. So every once in a while I'm down here doing work and I jump in the shower and get naked and oh oh don't, don't get in front of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants that show. It's better than just staring at it forever while you're there, just being like this is what you get. This is uh this is welcome to Jules. <laughs> I don't know, when you have my job there's a certain uh comfort in just being able to stare at that monitor and you know see the water level and hear the gurgle and you know because we have not only do we have visual but we have sound so Right. You know, I, uh, several times an evening, I just check in to make sure everything is looking good and bubbling correctly. Even when people aren't there. Yeah. You know, I mean, ultimately, I mean, here's the bottom line. It's really, uh, the worry is somewhat misplaced because the, you know, once you understand the kind of the physics of, of what we have here, it, it does put your mind at ease, you know, but ultimately if the compressor does stop running for any reason, the water does rise in here and it, uh, you know, it doesn't uh, really cause any, you know, it takes about two hours for the water level to rise up to the shower. Once it covers the shower drain, there's nowhere else for the air to go. And that, that kind of stops the process. But I do have a bunch of tools and other stuff out in the, out in the box outside. And, the, you know, the, the, the toilet pump's kind of in the danger zone. So I do kind of like to keep an eye on it just to make sure. But as far as, uh, you know, as far as safety and just the physics of being down here, once you, you know, once you understand how everything works, I mean, number one, it's we're in less, you know, we're, we're in one atmosphere of water. Uh, so we're, you know, 
basically it's super high tide. These guys don't know, but probably the highest tide I've seen, I've seen since I've been here is happening right now. So we're probably in every bit of 30, maybe even 31, 32 feet of water here at the feet right now. But, uh, you know, that being said, based on the, the current decompression tables, we can exit and go to the surface at any time. Even mm -hmm. the guys that spent the Guinea, there's a, we have a Guinness Book of World's Record plaque over here. You can't see, but the world record is 73 days down here, and they could still get out and go right to the surface. So from that standpoint, it's very safe. You know, we know um, a, a very important member of the Aquanaut community, Morgan Wells, who uh, spent many an hour in here, uh, did a study several years ago where he figured that uh, he calculated out that two people could live in this habitat for nine days once the compressors stopped pumping air in here. Uh, so that knowledge versus, you know, and, you know, understanding that, you know, it's essentially an upside down cup where it's a positive pressure habitat. So we're pumping air in here at 30 cubic feet per minute at about 96 PSI. The surrounding water pressure is about, it's less than 14 PSI. So very little can go wrong. And it's been down here for 35 years. So I think that's a testament to, you know, how relatively, you know, established underwater habitats are in terms of their functionality. Uh, you know, so I, I will continue to beat the drum. People will be living underwater on a regular basis long before a colony is established on Mars. You can take that to the bank, man. When is Vegas giving odds on that? Uh, you know, and I don't know, I'll let these guys chime in. This really interesting thing I keep looking at. I, I, I'm a big sustainable living guy. And I'm, you know, always looking at different types of, uh, you know, unique housing. And uh, the thing that's of interest to me now is all these fracking uh, water tanks that are available uh, through surplus at like three to $5,000 a piece. And I saw somebody picked up one uh, on one a YouTube channel do something with, and they were talking about how it was waterproof and how it was designed to, you know, and how, how the wells were such and such. And I'm like, man, you know, who's an engineer who can figure out, you know, can we take one of these things as is, put it in, you know, one atmosphere and, uh, you know, have a positive pressure supply to that. And is that the container home of the future, you know? So right. I, I really think, you know, I mean, ultimately there's, there's going to be regulations and so on and so forth to be dealt with. But if you had a private piece of land with a, a lake, you know, that, you know, I have no doubt that you could put a uh, underwater house there today and it, you know, probably would be uh, a very sustainable way to, to live and shoot when the temperature starts rising. Uh, as we see in the future, man, it's going to be nice to be underwater, I think. Uh, a very sustainable way to, to live and shoot when the... Sorry, my phone went off and like it cut off the audio on here real quick. Sorry about yeah. that. Um, but yeah, um, God, what was... Uh, I feel like I'm being put on the spot to come up with all the questions here, but that's because uh, Brendan's uh, the one being the... I mean, on that well, here, side let, this let time. Let me help you out. Let me help you out. So one question I got for you is, you've been here, what, two years now? A little over a year. Okay. Well, I mean, I've been I've been working on Primal Fifty for almost two years. Yeah, okay. But in terms of actually working on the habitat, actually, your anniversary just came around. So, what is one thing that you have seen through all the people that have come here that a misconception, maybe? Oh, I, I think everybody, you know, kind of has this notion that, you know, I mean, let's talk about what kind of movies we have that portray underwater exploration number one there's always some stupid boogie monster you know i mean there's always some lurking in the deep this thing that's going to kill you which we never quite figure that out but there's really been no appropriate portrayal of you know underwater lit you know i mean i don't know if bill murray and uh you know it's going to count but nevertheless uh you know there's really been not in fact we've got a movie down here that was from like the late 70s it was made by disney that's about Underwater Living stars Tony Randall. It's actually actually more accurate than a lot of the more recent movies that have been made, you know, where everybody thinks that, you know, it doesn't take much and everything's going to go to hell, right? I mean, you know, one little pinprick and everything, everybody's crushed. And, you know, and so, yeah, certainly if you're down at, at, at extreme depth, that can be a problem. But like I said, here, we're pumping so much air in here, there's... This thing's not going to implode. The air goes out, right? If we have a leak, if a leak starts in this thing, it's another bubble. Oh, hey, we got a bubble coming out over here. What's going on? Go down. So, I mean, ultimately, again, keeping something, 
you know, it, it, I know we're, when we're talking underwater living too, I don't think we're talking about scientific saturation diving. I mean, we want to make sure that this is a functional thing. And so we're talking about one atmosphere of water. So once you do that and you talk, you induce positive pressure, Joules is the example that it can be done and it can be done on, on a long-term basis. And, and think about the technology that was available in 1972 when this was put together and the type of metal that was available. When you factor that in, you think, man, with what we've got going on, in terms of modern metals, you know, maybe carbon fiber, that type yeah. of thing. Yeah, we can certainly create. I mean, I, you know, bottom line, if if Bezos or Musk, well, if they put their money towards underwater living, like they're doing towards getting into space, we do underwater living in a very short period of time. It's 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 that simple. Um, so what? Uh, here I would say this: everybody is everybody is surprised when they enter for the first time. I don't think most people have a notion of what it's going to be like to come into an underwater habitat. I think they think it's going to be more sparse than it is, even if they've maybe looked in at the pictures kind of when you first come up. I mean, I've seen some very seasoned divers, some very seasoned explorers come up and still be in awe and, and find a particular joy, you know? So when you talk about people that are diving the Andrea Doria or, you know, or who are heavy, dirty research scientists, you know, members of the Explorers Club or going to New York and, you know, hobnobbing with some of the top minds and explorers in the country. And they come down here and they still, you know, find a, a, a high level of fascination and excitement and fulfillment of being able to say, I, I lived underwater, but you know, there's something to it. And, you know, so I, I really think that, um, you know, because we are the only one, because we do have because we do have the flexibility of being a, a private entity that can, you know, make decisions on our own, that we have a unique opportunity to kind of inspire that next generation of underwater explorers and kind of, you know, give these guys something to point to and say, hey, listen, we're not, you know, we're not crackpots. It's not, you know, a pie in the sky. This piece of metal has been in the, the you know, uh, lagoon in, in uh, Key Largo for 35 years and it's still cranking. And, and, to be quite honest with you, I think, you know, I mean, I've talked to a number of people. There's there's ways that we can really extend the life. It's just a matter of, you know, how much money do we want to put into it and, you know, where do we see it going? Uh, but there are ways that we can extend the life of this this habitat and, uh, you know, make it last well beyond what, what people thought was possible. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, it's been down there for, what, 35 years, did you say? Yeah, yeah which, which is just a engineering uh you know it's impressive and it's uh just for the the fact that there's a lot of like above ground houses that after 35 years start to have a lot of problems and stuff i mean um not but so not only that but i mean this this structure this habitat is underwater it's submerged it has you know it's living amongst much more elements than you know a lot of like i said you know regular houses and it's sustained it's uh it's been going just fine and which that's been a lot one of the things that you know we hear on our end and i'm sure you've heard on your end is it's just like oh well that can't be practical because i mean it's underwater you you know salt water and water this and rust that and blah blah yeah. blah so it's just like but it's just like that you're you guys are sitting inside of living proof of like hey it does work and it is working right now yeah, ultimately, it's really this habitat, you know, for those in the know, is still considered to be probably the most sophisticated underwater habitat ever designed um, because of its mobility. Uh, the problem is, is uh, most of the work that it did was in Puerto Rico and it was it was uh, financed by the Puerto Rican government. Right. So you have a Spanish speaking uh, commonwealth or, you know, uh, as far as the United States is concerned. And so they didn't get the same level of, of interest in terms of what was going on as, say, the Cousteau camp or some of the other explorers that came beyond. So we have very little uh, moving footage of this at all. We have, like, one um, uh, filmmaker, uh, Smokey, from Smokey's Dive Store and Smokey's Dive Shop in Pennsylvania. He had, like, a public access uh, channel thing going on, and he came down and shot for a week, and that's kind of what we've got. But, uh, you know, the habitat and, uh, you know, the, the people that designed it and, and, and actually built it and the story that it, uh, you know, of how it got to Puerto Rico and what it did while it was in Puerto Rico, it's pretty amazing once you dig into it. And, 
you know, it, again, it is kind of a testament to, you know, what can be done uh, when, you know, you kind of have that pioneering mindset. And it, it kind of got lost because really what happened is, if you look at the history, about the time that uh, La Chalupa was finishing its mission in Puerto Rico and looking for something else or, you know, to extend its mission in Puerto Rico or the next mission, um, the uh, ocean exploration program at that time was being run by the Department of the Interior. And it, 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 the um, kind of that shift over went to the Carter administration, I believe, and they shifted from the Department of Interior to the Department of Commerce. And once the program started being run by the Department of Commerce, they started looking at a completely uh, different mindset and really took away a lot of the funding. And so if you look at some of the uh, reports from 75, 76, they recognize that La Chalupa exists, that it's in their uh, repertoire or, you know, uh, options in terms of underwater habitats, but they simply don't have the money to refurbish it after being in service for 16 months to be able to go and move and do something else. It's just the money's not available. So it's, it says La Chalupa, you know, it, it recognizes all its uh, the benefits of it, but it says we don't have the money to, to uh, retrofit it for a new mission. Sorry, real um, quick, I saw the battery is dying. Let me chart, pull, pull uh -oh. me real we got to plug in. Well, oh. this is our backup camera. Okay. So. Gotcha. Uh, um, while you're messing with that, Brendan, um, our good friend Marty Heyman uh, just uh, asked the question, are there any USOs down there? Unidentified submersible objects. Uh, I haven't seen one. Well. Doesn't mean they're not there, Brendan. Yeah. True. Yeah. All right. We're good now. Sorry about that. No, you're good. Um, but yeah, uh, one of the things that uh, I think would be cool, and um, obviously you guys are getting to experience it, is just the, the marine life around there. Um, Babe, you haven't talked much. Um, what what uh, what have you got to see while you were diving all that so far? Well, if I could identify all the fish down here, <laughs> I would, because I'm not from here. But uh, when Brendan and I went out earlier, that's one of the things. I was swimming upside down quite a bit just to get my camera that I have on my mast to pick up stuff with the oh, light. Okay. So I just back in the crevices, and there's there's a lobster right outside this window here. Um, over in some rocks, and uh, otherwise, just all kinds of jellyfish out there right now. Sounds like uh, uh, sounds like you got dinner planned out, is what it sounds like. If you got a lobster there, <laughs> dinner. <laughs> well, Fresh. we we kind of discourage <laughs> harvesting the friends right outside our window. But I mean, there's a the interesting thing is if you if you're here long enough, like I've been here for almost a whole year, and I was just telling them, I said it's it's about time for lobsters to come back in. And so there's a whole cycle in the lobsters, you know, lobsters show up here at a certain stage and then they grow up for several months and then they go out to the, to the reef and uh, then the cycle starts all again. So, uh, you know, right now, a lot of juvenile fish on top of the habitat, a lot of uh, small grunts and, and snapper up there. Uh, and one, one nice size, big sentinel snapper up there. We had a juvenile, uh, Goliath grouper up there for about six months, but he uh, finally got uh, big enough to move along and, and took off, but it was fun having him around. So you always tend to have one or two big fish stationed up there. There's a, a whole group of uh, parrotfish that come through on a regular basis. And uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, the, it, it uh, was just telling those guys, we one of the upgrades that we've got to make uh, in the near future is putting some outside lights right. uh, because, you know, we don't, the light that's in here, the LED light doesn't really penetrate uh, too far. Uh, outside and so we really want to put some led lights on the outside that we can fire up and kind of bring in the plank because it is fun even if you take your dive light shine it out the window you kind of attract the plankton which brings in some other life and yeah get, get pretty interesting literally there's a parrot fish out here a little little while ago that were miami dolphin collars yeah the pink, <laughs> you know, the football team, what colors they were they're beautiful turquoise yeah. <laughs> yeah guaranteed then uh the one thing that uh, happens every once in a while as well is that uh, particularly barracuda will use the, uh, you know, so you get a lot of uh, small bait fish will live in the moon pool and kind of use that structure. 
And uh, every once in a while, a Barracuda will come in and, and uh, try to take one out and actually launch itself out into the moon pool. Mm. I'll come up in the moon pool. It's like, sorry, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a little juvenile one. on. I, I had uh, dropped the level of the water a little bit to uh, do some touch-up paint at a juvenile um, Barracuda that jumped out of the water and uh, gave it up. <laughs> and you have Manatee every once in a while coming here. Oh yeah, I mean, oh, it uh, it's kind of cyclical. We kind of uh, now that the water's warming up outside, they're moving out a little bit more. But we had a, a nice run there for about three or four months where they were coming in uh, quite regularly. Cool. So yeah, we have the Manatee door. We we say over by the Jules Dock where we have a little space they can come in where there's no curtain. And uh, I think uh, maybe I don't know four or five missions ago we actually had manatees in as the guys were coming out they kind of passed passed by the manatees as they were exiting the habitat so i i i the bucket list is to be in here and have one swim by the, the window you know that would be that, right. that would be cool that'd be awesome but yeah no um, i mean I, it, it is a privilege and i mean it's it's very cool that we do have a couple i mean number one we have manatees that will come in here on a regular basis and it's it's a privilege to get to be able to hang out with those animals and then uh, we have some uh, seahorses that live over uh, under the dock and if you uh take your time and you kind of develop the eye fairly easy to go over there and find the one or two or three of our uh, resident seahorses hanging out on the pilings over there so that's always cool very awesome um we just had a comment uh scott mogg wants to know is this the program elon musk was on recently no um <laughs> we have not had Elon Musk on the Atlanta Sea Colony live stream, but he is more than welcome to join us one of these days if we can get. I don't his, uh... think he's been to Jules. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That'd be kind of cool, though. A lot, of, a lot of people that we would know have, but uh, not, uh, not not Elon. Elon. Um, say because... Yeah, um, actually, another comment just came in from YouTube from Top Mall Scuba. Um, are you affiliated with Marine Lab? You'd probably be able to answer that, Thane. Uh, well, I mean. But... Marine Resources Development Foundation is a nonprofit uh, corporation that uh, is kind of the umbrella that uh, is over everything. They operate Marine Lab. Um, they also own the underwater habitat, uh, Jewels Undersea Lodge. They do not operate it. They lease it to uh, Key Largo Undersea Park and Jewels Undersea Lodge, which is another company that operates it. So, uh, so yeah, we're part of the overall family, but Marine Lab and uh, Jewels Undersea Lodge are different businesses okay very cool um so with the the you guys are doing the aquanaut program so that is a 24-hour stay correct yeah so it was in uh and the name escapes me right now but in 1963 uh <clears throat> the first person to spend 24 hours so it's not something that we came up with here at jules the term aquanaut was uh, established back in 1963 and it was bestowed upon the first person that spent 24 hours underwater. And so we've kind of just uh, carried that mantle. But, uh, you know, it's a uh, it's a unique fraternity. I mean, number one, uh, it uh, there's not too many underwater habitats uh, in the world right now. I mean, I think I, I don't want to say that for sure, but I think ultimately us and Aquarius are the only two fixed permanently op, you know, that are you know, continuously operating habitats. I think there's might be one more in the Scandinavian area going on. I think there's a couple things that are going on right now, but I think they're kind of short-term uh, missions. That Hydro are, lab, I think yeah, so there's some there, you know, I, I, I picked up on something that's Poland or something's going on. I want an Eastern Europe kind of thing. I don't, uh, off the top of my head, I don't remember exactly where it was, but it seemed like that was a uh, short-term project versus what we've got going on. So it's, you know, it's hard nowadays if you, you know, if you don't have the uh, scientific credentials and uh, training uh, to be able to, and, you know, financial backing to be able to get onto Aquarius, then, uh, you know, we're the only other option to be able to, uh, you know, check that off the bucket list. And, you know, I do want to say this uh, about, you know, what we're doing. I mean, ultimately, I think there's a number of things that Jules Undersea doesn't I mean numbers it just allows somebody to check check this off the bucket list i mean if you're a diving enthusiast uh this is one of the the ultimates and this is something that uh, you know kind of every diver dreams about is being able to you know develop gills and live underwater and and uh, you know never have to come up and so this is the closest thing that you can get to that um at the same point in time uh, we still are an underwater habitat and we still can produce good science and we still are producing good science so we do have 
Uh, we do have doctors uh, in marine biology and microbiology and uh, other disciplines coming down here and, you know, doing science. I mean, recently, uh, Dr. Hunter Hines uh, was down here and he was uh, running an, a, an experiment that was mirroring an experiment that was taking place in the International Space Station on uh, tardigrades or water bears, that very uh, hardy little organism that seems to be able to withstand most everything. Yep. Doesn't do too well under pressure, we found out. So <laughs> actually, they uh, they came down here, did some tests. We left them down here for a couple of weeks. They came back and got them. Uh, you know, they have this advanced uh electronic microscope that we bring down that they did some work with and ultimately ended up being uh, on a couple of YouTube programs, Wired and uh, Brave Wilderness both uh, had some sub, you know, some information on that. And uh, they also um, used that opportunity to, to use this as a platform, which I believe um, to promote marine science and marine exploration, which was they um, you know, used this opportunity to do a lot of social media posting and, and TikTok and YouTube and so on and so forth. And they actually published a, a paper recently about the impact of using social media uh, to promote these, uh, you know, marine science, marine conservation, that type of thing, and, and uh, you know, how it can be used effectively. And they use the experiences that they gained from down here because they did have some, I mean, the viral, they got some really viral TikTok uh, posts uh, right off the yeah. bat out of here. I mean, within a, a day or so of posting or, you know, million views type of situation. So, um, so, you know, we're trying to really, you know, not, have the focus be on getting the pizza delivered because that tends to be uh, a big part of the, you know, what everybody's uh, talking about and being down at Jules is having the scuba diving pizza boy bring yeah. you down a pepperoni. Uh, but uh, you know that, Hey, we still want to uh, use this as an order habitat. We still want people to see it as a viable place to do. And it just depends on what kind of science you're doing. I you know if you're a microbiologist or you're studying, uh, you know, invertebrates or uh, you know, mangroves or say there's a lot of opportunities, uh, you know, I mean, NASA has used these type of facilities a lot. I mean, uh, La Chalupa 30, which occurred, you know, several years ago at this point, was a 30-day mission sponsored by NASA to, to uh, you know, once again, look at isolation. And there's only a few places that they can send uh, potential astronauts to uh, really put them through the paces of isolation. And, and you know, we're one of them. So, um, so yeah, we're really looking to, uh, you know, continue to be able to uh, wow uh, divers and non-divers alike because you know ultimately uh if you uh if you're not a diver and you you know we put you through a discover scuba as long as you can equalize your ears and follow the rope down we can get you into the habitat for a night as well so and we so you're we saying i'm capable of doing it is what you're saying oh yeah but the aquanaut package isn't the only package you guys offer you no i mean you you can if you just you know we ultimately it just depends on what you want to do if you just want the experience so we just have what we call a jewels and you know you don't get the full 24 hour experience we check in and check you out and you probably don't you know probably hear about 18 19 hours uh you know so getting the you know going for the 24 hours and getting the certification that's a you know it's a little different you know we do a lunch program we do it just a tour but uh you know i was telling brandon and babe you know our uh the founder the designer you know the uh guru of all aquanauts jan koblik <coughs> he is uh really challenging us to develop a a five-day program uh, aimed at, uh, you know, middle school through high school students where we have a group of eight students come down with a chaperone or two. Uh, we divide them into groups of two and uh, the first group of four will come down to the habitat, do a two-day mission. We have a lot of uh, uh, shipwreck memorabilia. We have several cannons out here, a lot of amphora. We're going to be, you know, building a uh, lost city type situation down here. So these students will be able to go out and do some archaeology uh, work, uh, do some work uh, with a full face mask and communications and uh, dredging and so on and so forth. And then at the same time, the four that are topside will be learning about topside operations uh, that occur to keep an underwater habitat uh, running and going out into the uh, reefs off Key Largo and doing some wreck uh, diving and uh, surveying there. So, and then we, after two days, we rotate and the four guys topside come down, the four that were in the habitat go back and by the end of the uh you know five day experience you've got a lot of uh exposure to marine science marine exploration you've got a few diving certifications under your belt and hopefully you're uh enthused about uh, going out and helping us uh save this uh ocean of ours that needs a lot of help uh marty Heyman just asked will you make a second nemo garden near jewels 
you know, here's the, the problem. I, 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 I was before my time. And um, I think realistically, if we didn't do it, it was somebody else that brought it in. And there was just an issue of materials and um, really just degradation. So, then, you know, it wasn't that it wasn't an interesting project. It wasn't that it wasn't, uh, you know, successful to a certain extent. It's just that whatever materials were used to construct, it just weren't appropriate and weren't uh, able to withstand uh, essentially the salt water and uh, the abuse that it took being down there. So, you know, I mean, anything's possible. Right. Because, I mean, I know people that like it. You know, like I said, I wasn't here at the time, but I know it was a, a point of interest. I will say this. Um, we will be making a lot of uh, improvements. We've done a lot of topside improvements here at Key Largo Undersea Park. So uh, a lot of the just our docks and, and other training facility areas have been upgraded. Now we're going to be turning our attention to the uh, lagoon. So we're going to be uh, doing some uh, cleanup. Uh, get you know kind of consolidating a lot of the you know we have we have had a lot of over the years we've had a lot of different uh underwater habitats and diving bells and and mark five stations and and uh, submarine stations and so on and so forth so there's a lot of things and uh, hoses and lines going across the bottom of the lagoon that we want to kind of figure out what everything is and consolidate that clean that up we want to put in a couple more diving platforms and and uh you know kind of make it uh, really one of the better training areas uh you know down here in south florida because it's a really a nice place for people to have when the wind blows and the boats can't get out it's uh you know it's really good to be able to ride over here to jewels and you know when the when the weather does turn bad you know it's not uncommon to see 7500 divers in here uh in a day getting their uh, getting their work done very cool um i don't know brennan what what uh what what observations uh, have you made so far, you know, just to kind of be in there? Um, I forgot my glasses top side, so I think Dave <laughs> for bringing those because that was kind of hard. I couldn't see anything for a while. <laughs> Try to read it. If I get a headache, you start reading. So make sure you check off everything before you come under because otherwise you're without Thane of in trouble. So, yeah, that's probably the one thing that's really hit me the hardest so far is that, that thing there. there. As I said, it's like, you know, it, it – it, uh... It takes a little while, but then it's like, oh, eh, I can't just can't solve that problem. It's like it's like I said about the laundry. You know, there's a, there are a few things, but uh, you know the drawbacks are few and far between. You know, everything seems like uh, if you put your mind. I mean, ultimately, we we've, we've had to put our mind to a lot of different things. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't think about what it takes to get anything down to 25 feet of water. You know, and uh, you know, what we put in those dry boxes, you know, and uh, get down here is, is nothing compared to what we have to do. We got an uh, air conditioner that needs to be repaired. So we had an air conditioner that uh, wasn't working right and did a little troubleshooting on it. My my electrical guy said, I, you know, pretty sure it just needs a recharge. But, you know, let's take a look and so I took a look and it was still within warranty right and I'm like well you know geez if it's in warranty and it's something bad I you know do I want to take a chance if we recharge it it doesn't work then yeah. it, because it was like it was like within one week of being out of warranty so I was like Ugh. and so I was like I don't want to take a chance so I pulled it out prepared it to take it to the surface took it to the surface and then had to bring it back down and all it needed was a recharge but uh, <laughs> you know so when you when you talk about bringing you know a marine air conditioner down to 25 feet of water, you know, it's, it, it requires a bit of thought and I've done it four or five times now. So I'm getting pretty good at it. So the process is number one, whatever you're bringing it, we had to bring a, a refrigerator down here a few years ago. And that's was its own little, you know, they were very happy to get it down here without warping it, you know, by, uh, because it does have such, such big airspace in it. But, uh, you know, basically I took that to the AC, just wrapped it in towels, tried to fill as much of the air void as possible, put a big contractor uh, trash bag over it, and then used a dry, a dry back, went dry back to suck the air out of it, you know, basically pull as much air out of it as I can, duct tape that one, then put more towels, another contractor bag, suck the air out of it, duct tape, more, another contractor bag, tape it up, strap about 100 pounds to it, put a 100-pound lift bag on it so you can regulate it, and send it. 
you know, it, uh, it works surprisingly well. So I brought three three ACs, a new marine toilet, uh, a new marine uh, macerating pump for that toilet, and 36 bags of concrete have all been brought down here by yours truly at some point in time. And you're also um, not considering, too, with all that stuff, is you've got different size holes you got to get through, too. Yeah. So thinking that far ahead, too. Yeah, so there's, a, I mean, ultimately, you know, as, as the habitat operations manager, there's a lot of small details that I'd like to fix. And then I go, oh, but I'm underwater. <laughs> so that's, we might have to live with that one. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, like I said, there are, there's no doubt in my mind that I could keep this thing working here for, a, you know, as long as I wanted to be working here. And then, you know, that's probably 10 years, you know, because by that time I'm going to be 70. I want to retire and hang out with my grandkids. But, uh, you know, so there's no doubt in my mind. It's just a matter of how much money would it take and how long, you know, because, I mean, I talked to, con you know, we were, I was doing some concrete work. So I swam 36 bags of concrete down here to pour a new uh, moon pool floor. So we just capped the moon pool with two inches of concrete and that, solved a lot of uh, abuse that it had taken over the years. But I was also talking to concrete guys about some other projects and we got around to pumping concrete and he was like, yeah, oh yeah, we can pump it down to the habitat. You know, so ultimately if my floors ever started leaking, I could pull up my panels, I could bring concrete down here. I could just fill, I could basically create, I could pour a new floor and uh, it would be perfectly fine and it would work really, really well. Uh, you know, something like, uh, Linex type material. If I could, you know, if I could pull all this carpet down and, and uh, wire brush it and come in here, Linex, I'd be good for a long time. Yeah, yep. a long time. So, Spending. yeah. So, <laughs> so it's not, it's not rocket science. It's, it's diving physics, you know. And ultimately, we're an upside down cup, and and if you just meet the, the physics requirements to keep this thing dry, it's it's pretty darn simple. Um, Top Mall Scuba just sent another question. Have you talked to the diving museum about some cooperative uh, projects? Well, that's a good question. And uh, what's what's coming up is in, um, and again, we've done, over the years, we've done a lot of work with the Diving History Museum and, and Jan Koblick, the founder is, you know, part of the whole um, historical diving society and, you know, is, uh, writes for the magazine on occasion and so on and so forth. So the answer is yes. And even more so that's on my list of things to do because right now we're approaching my six month deadline of where I really have to get started on my Prime 50 project, because that was the whole genesis of everything that's going now going on now is that I wanted to celebrate the 50th anniversary of this habitat. So in 19, in November 18th, 1972, off the coast of Puerto Rico, this habitat started its first official mission. Um, and so in November 18th of this year, it'll be the 50th anniversary of the first official mission of La Chalupa. And as you may or may not know, my dad was the original diving officer and I was an 11 year old running around Puerto Rico at that time, uh, having the time of my life. And so uh, that was really what I, I started, uh, you know, this whole thing uh, to do is to commemorate that. So um, we're still, the goal is to still on November 18th be in Puerto Rico and place a placard at the beach. It's Playa Ostiotis in the uh, Cabo Rojo uh, region of Puerto Rico. And I've actually got some Puerto Ricans that are on it. They've actually just recently put up a sign that did mention that it was the site of Prinol. And so uh, we've got, uh, there's still probably three or four aquanauts uh, that live in Puerto Rico that were, you know, Puerto Rican aquanauts. There's uh, a safety diver or two. And there's a lot of, my mom was the secretary. My, you know, my grandpa was the, the, the security guard, so on and so forth. So I'm really interested in, in honoring the people of Puerto Rico because it was a Puerto Rican government project. It was financed by the Puerto Rican government. Probably one of the most important employees was uh, Jaime Biagi. He was the uh, vice president of Marine Resources Development Foundation and a Puerto Rican marine biologist who had a lot of connections and really was able to make things work. So really important to do that. But then we're also planning on having um, a reunion of aquanauts. So there are at least 26 aquanauts uh, from the primal missions that are still alive and I've been in contact with them. So we hope to have uh, them here uh, 
you know, I've just got to figure out what's weekend. We've got Dima is the fourth and the 11th. And then, you know, so I'm trying to figure out and I, we're going to have a meeting recently in, in the near future and decide what exactly we're going to do it. But we hope to have a reunion here. And I'm hoping that we will do something with the Diving History Museum to commemorate that 50th anniversary as well. So I guess that's the answer to the question. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> and Dima's in Orlando. Yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, so, right. So, so you'll yeah. have people over here anyway. Right. So, cool. Baby, you haven't said much. Oh, I'm setting it all in. <laughs> <laughs> you want to share any two cents here and your thoughts about? Because you've been here before. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, things. It may be little things, but just made a lot of really good changes. It's just, and he's talking about the things you can't do, but then I'm looking at the technologies that we can do. Because I showed him earlier. Uh, um, I have my iPad. And I brought up my security cameras at my house <laughs> a thousand miles away from here underwater. And you're looking at a whole different place. It just, yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's one of the things that you don't see that we did. Like when I first got here, we, the, the internet connection down here was, was marginal, you know, and we certainly uh, could not have done what we're doing tonight. In fact, we tried to do, we were embarrassed to a certain extent because we thought we could pull it off and we had the Guy Harvey Ocean Foundation down here. We wanted to do a little blurb on Ocean Day or something. And it just was, the leg was so bad that we couldn't do it. So ultimately we got our guy in here and, and uh, you know, we had a lot of the problems that we, not, I say problems, but a lot of the issues that we needed to uh, correct actually ended up being topside. So once we started really looking into some of the issues, I think we got a new, uh, router or modem down here and, and uh, you know, basically upgraded what we had going on at the surface. So now this is the best internet connection on the entire compound. If I really want to get something done, I come down to Jules, bring my, <laughs> bring my laptop. And, uh, you know, if so I got some editing to do, or I really need to, to get some, uh, do some surfing and don't want to be interrupted. Here's the place to be. <laughs> I think one of the most impressive things that Jules has accomplished was it wasn't that long ago um, you introduced the Wheel of Mythicality on Rhett and Link on Good <laughs> Mythical Morning. <laughs> that, was, that was an awesome surprise. You know, here, I, and I screwed up. I didn't introduce myself. And when I did it, actually, I sent it. I said, oh, I didn't even say my name. But it was it was so cool. Now, actually, I looked at that just the other day. In fact, I'm a big fan of old Rhett and Link. So that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, when we Brennan and I saw that, because Brennan and I are big fans of that. And we're just like, no so my new, uh, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to speak this into existence because I just talked to, you know, one of the cool things, I mean, what, probably one of the coolest things about being down here is just not even doing this, but all the, the incredible people that I've been able to meet as a result, you know, with Ocean First, you know, coming coming on board here at uh, uh, Key Largo Undersea Park and with Marine Lab, you know, we've got uh, you know, Dr. Mickey Bacombe-Kobza, you know, just an incredible marine scientist doing great, you know, shark and large predator research. You know, so she's hanging down here. I'm getting to meet her. And she is friends with Adam Savage from Mythbusters. Oh, wow. And I love Adam Savage. And so I'm like, Mickey, you got to get Adam down here. I'm so I bring Adam down. He can stay here. All he's got to do is make me a model. Just make me a new model of La Chalupa. Come on down, Adam Savage. So that's, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, It is. It, it's just a. It's a. It's a very cool. Here's what I. Here's what I tell people. Number one, I've never brought anybody down here that didn't think it was the, one of the coolest things they've ever done. And every time I pop my head up in the moon pool, in a small piece of my brain, it just goes, "Wow, this is cool." And it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I, and I come down here a lot of times to clean the toilet, and it's still yeah. cool every single time. That's awesome. Um, Marty Heyman just asked. Was Captain Scott Carpenter there at Jules before he passed? If so, he would have loved it. Well, no, actually, Captain Scott Carpenter, you know, it holds the distinction of being the only astronaut slash aquanaut. And not only that, he was the namesake of the Scott Carpenter Man in the Sea program, of which my dad was the director. So late 90s into the into 2000, they had a pretty uh, comprehensive program here at Marine Lab where they had if you, if you ever come to Marine Lab, you'll see the actual namesake of Marine Lab, the two-person underwater habitat that used to be in the, the lagoon that's now a museum. But that was, we had another water, underwater habitat in the, 
the uh, lagoon. We had a small submarine that was uh, piloted in the lagoon. We had a, a bell system, a lockout bell. We had a Mark V uh, program that was going on. So, you know, you came down primarily it was like te teacher groups, that type of thing. They came down for like a week and were introduced to the entire world of marine exploration. And, you know, Scott Carpenter was, you know, behind the whole thing. And, uh, you know, very good friends with John. I've had the distinction of, of meeting Scott one time, and I actually have a Scott Carpenter Man in the Sea program that he's autographed to my kids. So that's one of my prized possessions. Very cool. Yeah, Marine Lab just got pulled out not too many years yeah, ago. Yeah, no, basically after Irma, right? So, I mean, yeah, that, uh, that really was, uh, Irma hit pretty hard. So, I mean, ultimately, if you look at a lot of what's going on, like if you go into our compressor room, all of our compressors are four feet off the ground now. That's because... Uh, we hope they won't get flooded next time something comes through like Irma. Uh, Marty Heyman also wants to know if tonight's entertainment is to be watching The Abyss. <laughs> uh, I believe we have the DVD in here. We have a, basically any kind of Finding Nemo, The Abyss. You know, it's all uh, it's all there. I forget. Like I said, I got I keep forgetting the uh, the name of this Disney movie that I've got over in the other room there. But uh, that's a good one as well. All about underwater habitat living it's actually i'm gonna have to uh put that out there on the internet again because it's actually one of the for being made in the 19 early 70s it's probably one of the better depictions of underwater living that's ever been made brendan was sending me videos earlier that him and babe were watching sea lab 2020 which was or 2021 <laughs> sorry which uh i think that is what you're supposed to do is to watch <laughs> that that show while you're down there that just makes all the sense in the world um, Sorry, you got more questions over there? Um, I, I'm sure if I brought Adrian down, she'd have a million, but I'm going to keep her away. So, uh, <laughs> um, no, um, it's just cool that, uh, yeah, that you guys were able to do this without yeah. kidney stones. And, uh, um, well, and the night's not over yet. So let's, you know, cross our fingers here. Let's hope you don't get anything else. Like, I don't know. I don't know. You're, Appendix blows up or something like that. Let's I'm hope good. that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, saying if he says something's wrong, just ignore him because <laughs> I mean, just make sure he completes the program. That's I mean that's the most important thing. Um, he's he's Babe's responsibility if anything like happens. Uh, if he gets too whiny, I'm gonna kick him out of yeah. the moon pole. <laughs> I'm sure we'll make it till 10 a.m. tomorrow. Yes. I have yes. I have all the confidence in the world. We got this. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, baby, do you have anything you want to add in closing? Yeah, just that uh, <laughs> you take anything as far as working on your home and then do what Thane's been talking about. And I think he simplified it because to do this, you got to be, you know, engineering thinking as well as anything habitat. And I think he's been too modest about it. And I'm certain it's not any kind of an easy job. And yeah. he stepped into it and has just done amazing things for this place. Yeah. Yeah. One thing even I've noticed that, uh, um, you know, following Jules on, you know, social media and stuff is just um, watching the, just your, your presence, like get to be more and more, there's more activity around the name and um, just like you said, you know, we, we, we had a laugh about the, the Good Mythical Morning thing, but, um, you know, having that outreach and uh, just, um, you know, before talking with Brendan, I never knew about this. But then, you know, without Brendan, I'm sure I would have came across it just because your online presence has increased. There's a lot more activity with social media. Um, so, I mean, it's uh, it's just seeing that from that aspect, it seems like the, the business has gone through um, – has gained more notoriety with with you uh, being there. Well, I, I appreciate you for saying that. I mean, ultimately, you know, it's 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 a it's a family thing, right? I mean, this is part of my family. Uh, for those who don't know, my dad lost his arm as part of this uh, project. Now, it wasn't a diving related accident; it was topside related, and really had everything to do with being in Puerto Rico in 1972, and, and you know, not not getting the best health care uh, at right. that time. And so, uh, you know, so ultimately. You know, when your family makes that kind of sacrifice towards it, you know, towards anything, you know, it kind of sticks with you. And so ultimately, I kind of, you know, thought that, you know, as I started looking into this and it really 
it's kind of a weird thing. If it wasn't for the pandemic, it probably would have never happened because I was very happy being a sports reporter on the big island of Hawaii. And, right. uh, you know, so it was co- before I was underwater habitat, man, I was Coach Thane and, and uh, I was very happy uh, doing that kind of thing on social media. But when, you know, the pandemic took away that job, because all high school sports in, in, in Hawaii stopped and about 70 percent of my income was based off high school football in, yeah. in, uh, in Hawaii. You know, I just started looking into my history and, and started kind of reminiscing about being an 11 year old in Puerto Rico and how cool that was. And just got on YouTube and found a guy that was doing drone footage over the old uh, site and made some contact with him and ran into some people on Facebook who knew about it and ran into a safety diver who had pictures and, and just thought, wow, this is way too cool. And not any, you know, not enough people know about it. And the more I started looking into it again, that's, that's, why I have so much passion is once you know, once you understand the story, once you see what these guys did, I mean, these guys, not only were they were pioneers, but there was just not a whole lot of training. These guys were like guys off the street. Hey, you know, remember me? I was your high school buddy from Petaluma, California. I, I just came down here to, you know, St. Croix to see if you had a job. Oh, sure. Well, you know, we'll teach you how to dive. You can become a safety diver on underwater habitat. You know, I mean, that's the, you know, basically that's what we're talking about in the 1970s. My, my dad came out of Santa Barbara City College, the Marine Tech program, but it was the very first graduating class. So there was really these guys, not only were they pioneers, they were just doing it by the seat of their pants. And they they had deadlines to meet and, you know, commitments that had to be kept and contracts and, and to, you know, that re- required, you know, certain time stamps to be able to get the money and so forth. So they didn't have a choice. They just had to go out and pioneer. And really, you know, some of the uh, some of the most important you know, dive table research, uh, you know, as far as commercial diving and uh, deep saturation diving was done by these guys, you know, I mean, Nitrox kind of uh, between um, Morgan Wells and Dick Rakowski, this kind of, you know, a lot of the early Nitrox kind of theories came out of what was going on here, uh, you know, so it, it's just an, it's such an impactful project that uh, not enough people know about. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why I'm here is to, you know, number one, help uh, more people, you know, learn the true story, what went on in Prynul and what these guys did to make this thing run. And then just to give more people an opportunity because we got to, we got to take care of our ocean. You know, we got to inspire these kids because they got a hell of a job to do to clean up the mess that we've made. And we got to, we got to inspire them to do that. And this is the, this is the type of thing that inspires you to go out and do something cool, you know, and, and, you know, make an effort. So that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. That's one thing Brennan and I have always said is, you know, if you get people, out into that kind of environment and let them see things firsthand, that might be more impactful for them to, um, you know, be more, like you said, more inspired and um, want to contribute more. Also, uh, Marty Heyman says the show you were talking about is called Hello Down There. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Hell of a movie. Movie. I recommend it. <laughs> um, Richard Dreyfus, Tony Randall, who else is that? Vivian Lee. He said, Mr. Howe from Gilligan's Isle and Kenny Baker. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. <laughs> it is hilarious. Hello down there, yeah. Well, um, I don't have anything else. Um, I, I'm sure I speak on behalf of uh, a Brendan and Babe there that, um, you know, not only are we thankful that you're, you know, hosting them and um, letting them you know, uh, or joining them for this, but just uh, from a business standpoint too, you know, it, it's great to build relationships with individuals like you and, um, be, you know, not only having that business aspect, but, you know, friendships that, uh, you know, can help us out. And um, just, we, we share a lot of the same passions and um, ambitions and just, you know, um, you and your business and your, your area there are, um, you know, inspiring to us uh, as people that are trying to accomplish uh, similar goals and, you know, being able to, you know, point at someone and be like, yeah, this is possible. This isn't just, a, um, you know, this isn't just a, a pipe dream here. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say in closing here, though, I, said, oh, I do have a thank you because I remember, I think it was end of 2020, breaking in 2021, um, you hadn't come on yet at that point in time. I messaged Jules and I was like, Hey, you know, you, the website, I was saying when you guys were opening stuff like that, and they were saying at this point in time, you know, we're closed. And I was, uh, you know, so you literally, I mean, I think you're, you saved Jules uh, for all intents and purposes from 
Who knows why? Well, I mean, ultimately, like I said, what I did was I, I got Jan Kobley to take a harder look, you know, because they, they, uh, they just weren't sure exactly, you know, what it was going to take to keep, you know, to reopen it after mm -hmm. it had been closed for 16 months. And the thought of, oh, yeah, we've got this 50th anniversary coming up. And wouldn't it be cool to have that opener of the 50th? That kind of like went, hey, let's let's make sure before we make any decisions about what we do with Jules, let's make sure we know exactly what's going on. So, you know, like I said, we brought Larry Ward, who was the, the maintenance guy on Aquarius for a number of years. We brought him in and he did a top to bottom check on this. And, uh, you know, I got in here with him. He taught me what he knew about it. And uh, so I learned from one of the best. I mean, you know, there's very few of us around, you know, so I do I do consider it a privilege to be one of the guys that's running an underwater habitat. Yeah. And I do consider it a privilege to, uh, you know, learn from guys like Jan Koblet and uh, uh, Larry Ward, you know, and and my, my dad and Ed Geiger, the, uh, you know, one of the original designers. So, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, Seppo Kolomanen, one of the, you know, I mean, I, there's a lot of these old, uh, and, I, and I think it's funny, I'm 60 years old, but I, I think my brain thinks I'm 35, so I call these guys old, but nevertheless. Um, so it's just, it's incredible uh, to be able to connect with these guys. I mean, I was an 11 year old. I thought these guys were, you know, I mean, these guys were in, in Superman as far as I was concerned, all these scientists and, and divers that were coming around. So to be, you know, be at this point in my life and have these guys, you know, kind of say the same thing. Hey, thanks for bringing it back. Thanks for recognizing what we did. Thanks for kind of shining the light on us, uh, you know, at this point in, in our, uh, in our careers and lives. And, uh, you know, so that's really cool. It's really cool to have those, those interactions to be able to to hear the stories, you know, to be able to, you know, to be able to sit in a room with Jan and and talk about the history of the habitat, you know, and then, you know, actually some of the dives and some of the close calls that they had, you know, that's priceless, really. I mean, it's just such an incredible honor. Awesome. Well, yeah, once again, thanks for being a part of today's live stream and uh, uh, joining us and uh, putting up with those two and, uh, you know, dealing with them today. No, and I'll just I'll let you know. I can't give you too much, but I got I got some big YouTubers coming down in, in six days. So I don't know. Probably in a couple of weeks or something, I'll be able to let you know. But we'll have uh, you know we'll have a another. And that's been pretty cool. I mean, uh, that's the thing we've got to do a little bit better job of just uh, kind of tapping in. But we have had some uh, some pretty uh, pretty big YouTubers come through in this past year. And, uh, you know, so those guys coming through once the, you know, once we had the first guy, Ryan Trahan, I don't know if you've had a chance to check that out, yeah. but he's the guy that broke my door. <laughs> I had to come down <laughs> and rescue him. I was like, you know, you probably could have kicked your way out, but I appreciate that you didn't. Uh, but, uh, you know, when, when, once he came out and got his, uh, you know, I think he's up to, I don't know, it's ridiculous, but I think he got like two or three million views, like within the first week or so. All of a sudden, other YouTubers like, oh, you can make money back. You know, so we've we've had a steady stream of YouTubers this year come through, and uh, so we're trying to get our get a little more organized so we can take advantage of that as well. So I'm going to try to be a little on more on my game for this coming up. But like we so, uh, we've got these uh, YouTubers coming up, and I got another. Can't give you details on that, but I got another really big YouTube thing that we're working on uh, that might be a few months down the road. So, yeah. Very cool, and we'll uh, obviously be be you know watching out for that. Um, oh, when I can share, I will share. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll we'll be we'll be uh, sharing any of the information that uh, you post on your socials and all that. Um, so, having said that, guys, uh, for Jules Undersea Lodge, um, obviously you can follow them on uh, all the major platforms, uh, your social media platforms. Uh, Jules, just uh, J-U-L-E-S. I mean, you will find it. Jules Undersea Lodge. Um, go check that out. Um, also, we'll put the links to them on our social medias uh, as well. Um, so if you're in the area, even if you're not in the area, make the trip to go visit Jules Undersea Lodge. So, I mean, uh, it's a, like you said, it's a scuba diver's deal. Um, not scuba diver's deal. It's a scuba diver bucket list item. So... That's what you should do. And uh, Thane even said people like me who are not, uh, you know, certified and people are not very good can learn to do it and can get there. I, I'm going to I'm going to hold you to that. One of these days I'm going to get there. Yep. I'll be like, I'm, I don't think you understand how inept I am. But uh, <laughs> uh, as long as you can breathe and equalize, we're, we're in good shape. <laughs> 
I've been known to make simple tasks very difficult. But, <laughs> um, all right, guys, thank you very much for joining in on this. Um, uh, check out AtlanticeaColony.com. Uh, check out all of our socials there, our merch store. Um, also, uh, ways to donate and all that. Uh, we have our Patreon, patreon.com, Atlanta Sea Colony. Um, also, thanks to our patrons, real quick Edward Haas, Brian Acosta, S. Babe Hybrid, who is sitting there right on the right there, uh, Martin Reese, and Matthew Cathy. Thank you guys for your support there. Um, until next time, and Thane, we will definitely have you back on again. Um, but until then, guys, we will see you on the next live stream. We will see you later. All right, go ahead.